actually printed off my notes, so tonight's is going to be significantly better than last week. Um, all right, so welcome to uh, Wednesday night, part three. Uh, those of you, uh, somebody mentioned that haven't been here or weren't here last week, it's all good. Um, we'll get you in a group and we'll go get going from there. Um, one thing I will say is that I had debated on who remembers the famous Max. Yeah. No. Max, the reader Max. Tom knew right away. Tom was like, yeah. So I'm not sure on the streaming side of Max if we can stream him out to the internet. And so I was waiting for our resident streaming technology person, but he's nowhere to be found. And so you're stuck with me reading again. I'll try to do my best to um, not screw it up, I guess. Pretty much <clears throat> what I say every, every Wednesday night. So let's uh, pray. And then also I'm gonna, we're going to take some... Yes, did you want to read for us, Paul? <laughs> yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. And when... when uh, would it be the FCC, the FDA, or the uh, what would it be that would show up? <laughs> oh, YouTube would just shut it down, yeah. They would just kill the stream. And I would say to YouTube, well, I talked to a police officer. He said it was fine. <laughs> I'm sure that'll... Um, let's just do it. Let's just do it. Uh, but now we're, now we're behind, so we can't do it. We'll just have to uh, try it next week, hopefully. All right, let's pray, and then we'll jump into chapter, uh, chapter 3. Uh, Lord, we just come to you tonight, and as we continue in Luke's gospel and see the life of Jesus and John and how you have used these individuals and the story of Jesus and the life of Jesus to move us closer to you and to clear a pathway for us to be in relationship with you, we just pray that we would have open eyes and open ears, open hearts and open mouths to hear, receive, and proclaim the good news of what you have done in our lives. So be with us tonight and be with our discussions, uh, that they would be fruitful and edifying to those that are here and, and encouraging as we move forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so chapter 3 of Luke's Gospel. You remember last week, we get Jesus, he's born, he goes to the temple, um, he's increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God. Now we jump back, so we've kind of, we've been going back and forth between John and Jesus, we go back to John the Baptist. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip tetrarch of the region of Iturea, and Trachonitis and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, 
and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. And now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations, and be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the, with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the, sh the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, and he locked up John in prison. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased." Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mathet, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Jani, the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Esli, the son of Nagai, the son of Maath, the son of Mattathias, the son of Saman, the son of Josek, the son of Jodah, the son of Jonan, the son of Resa, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adai, the son of Kosim, the son of Elmadam, the son of Ur, the son of Joseph, the son of Eleazar, the son of Jorim, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonam, the son of Elikim, the son of Mele, the son of Mena, the son of Mattatha, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Selah, the son of Nashon, the son of Aminadab, the son of Admin, the son of Arni, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Serug, the son of Reu, the son of Pelig, the son of Eber, the son of Selah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxid, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Maalil, the son of Canaan, 
the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Could I repeat that, repeat that part about the son again? Yeah, I could. Um, so I want to stop right there, not because I don't think uh, the, the flow of the narrative is important. I want to capture what we see happening here before we move on um, with Jesus going out into the wilderness. So as we talked about, we see this back and forth of uh, John and then Jesus going back and forth. So we go, we go from Jesus back to John, and we get this overarching view of what's happening with John. And we know that John is the son of Zechariah. And what do we get about what John is doing? Well, he goes out into the wilderness around uh, the Jordan, and he's proclaiming this baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And oftentimes when we think about John and Jesus, we think about Jesus coming and talking about forgiveness of sins. But again, remember, John is preparing the way for Jesus. So he's starting to talk about this idea of repentance and the forgiveness of sins. He's also doing this thing called baptizing. And so it's this baptism and this turning from and the forgiveness of sins and this life change that is starting to till up some of the ground that Jesus is then going to come and fill in the place behind. And so all these people are coming around and they're listening to John. And we see immediately, again, this prophecy going out about uh, what John is doing and who John is and what he is going to be about. And notice that John has this very interesting approach to the crowds as he is going out. <laughs> Immediately, he calls them out into this very interesting phrase of, you brood of vipers. Not really like buttering up the crowd at all. He immediately is like, y'all have a problem, and so you need to uh, go about changing your ways. But notice what is he calling them into? So this repentance is this idea of turning from something towards something else, this reversal of how we live our lives. And John is talking about bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. And so we're going to see this idea of fruit bearing and the importance of fruit bearing in one's life. And then if we skip ahead just a little bit, he's, he's asked by the crowd, what then shall we do? And so he gives them this very interesting uh, display of the various people and what it means or what it looks like for them to bear fruit depending on where they are at in their lives, depending on what they do, depending on who they are. Because notice he says before that, uh, if you don't bear good fruit, you're going to be cut down and thrown into the fire. These are words that we heard back in Matthew and there was some concern about, you know, what are we doing? How do we know if we're bearing good fruit? What does fruit even look like in our lives? And it's interesting because, you know, nowadays we have this ability to produce trees that don't bear fruit. So, for example, the crabapple tree that sits right out there on the patio produces these beautiful white flowers in the spring. And you're like, wow, that's a beautiful crabapple tree. And then you're like, where are all the crabapples? It's a hybrid that doesn't produce fruit. But for them, 
If you're a fruit tree, you produce fruit. And John is starting to talk about this idea of if you are going to repent and turn and do this thing called following after God, you are going to produce fruit. And so what does that look like? Well, first of all, he says, you're going to share the things that you have with people that don't have anything. For example, those who have two tunics, you should share one with somebody who doesn't have any. And those who don't have food should share with those who don't have any food. Now, I know we want to be very careful about this because we talk about this all the time. We talk about this pendulum swing of, so you're saying I have to do these things in order to be right with God. And the answer is no. To do things for people is not producing salvation. It's a result of the salvation that we've experienced. So for John, when the repentance happens, when the turning from the old way happens to the new way, what then follows after is actions and an outflow of this repentance and turning. So for somebody to say, well, you're saying that I have to do feed the poor, you know, provide clothing, do these things in order to earn favor with God, the answer is no. What John is clearly stating is to follow in this way, this new way, it means that we will do certain things depending on where we are at. For example, he says, um, to the tax collectors, don't collect more than you are authorized to do so. To the soldiers, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations, and be content with your wages. Now, Janine pointed out that, that much of Luke and the narrative is going to be about Jesus coming to care for and to provide for the downcast, the outcast, those who don't have things. So John is starting to prepare that way and starting to pave that way, and he is calling the listener or the person that's sitting there hearing these things to a different way of life. Which begs the question for us, how is it that we respond to these things and this call on our lives to care for those who don't have two tunics when we have two tunics? And you say, I don't have two tunics, I have zero tunics. So then who's going to give me a tunic? Well, we don't have tunics, right? We just have regular clothes and this idea of providing for the poor. And, you know, fairness in conversation, I've completely blown this, um, the, the, the program that was supposed to be in the program this last week about us being involved with the homeless shelter, so I'm just going to shamelessly do it now since I screwed it up. It wasn't Betsy's fault. 100% my fault, taking full ownership. So we have this partnership with Bridges of Hope, and what Bridges of Hope has done is started this homeless shelter, and one of the ways that we help the homeless shelter is by providing people who go and serve at the homeless shelter. So we're given a week, uh, weeks throughout the year, throughout the time the homeless shelter is open. Somebody goes in in the evening, helps check the guests in. Somebody shows up in the morning for a very short period of time. I believe in the morning it's less than three hours. Helps the people get their stuff and go on their way. To most of us, it's like, meh, it's not even that big of a deal. Completely agree. And so we have this opportunity to, to come this Sunday and to hear about what this looks like and to get involved and to really do these things that John is talking about and to start to look at this idea of what does it mean to produce 
fruit. Because to to come into the kingdom and not produce fruit really would make absolutely no sense to John or to Jesus or to any of the writers of what we call the New Testament. And so John is saying, wherever you are at, you have something that that you are called to do. And again, he talks about this idea of preparing the way, and the, the crowd starts to wonder, is John, in fact, the Christ, the one we've been looking for? Because remember, again, John comes from this this lineage of this family where you would think a Messiah may come from. Zachariah is a priest. His mom comes from the right lineage. And and one other thing we want to mention, or I want to mention, is notice the references to Abraham that we're going to continue to get throughout Luke's gospel. So they say, John, are you the one that we're looking for? Interestingly enough, as we look forward, John sends some of his disciples to Jesus And they say to Jesus, are you the one we were looking for? And so we see this interesting echo of the words of the crowd to John and then John's disciples to Jesus. But John has some things to say about who Jesus is. And he's talking about this idea of baptism and how Jesus is going to come and he's going to baptize with this reference to the Holy Spirit and with fire and how great Jesus is going to be. So he makes this big grand prediction And then what happens three verses later? Surprise, there's Jesus. (laughs) So again, we see this theme of prophetic utterances happening and then the fulfillment of those uh, prophecies almost immediately after. And And Luke almost throws this away because he wraps up, in essence, John's story by saying John is put in prison. And it's like, oh yeah, by the way, all the people were baptized And then Jesus was baptized. Now, again, this idea of baptism, for uh, for many of us, it comes with certain baggage, I guess I would say. Certain things that were like, uh, what does baptism mean to us? What is the importance of baptism? Why are we baptized? You know, what is happening is, is baptism about the forgiveness of sins? Well, if baptism is about the forgiveness of sins. Why is Jesus being baptized? He doesn't need to have his sins forgiven. And as we talked about last week, we see these sig- signature moments within our lives and our faith journeys, and baptism becomes a signature moment in the life of a disciple of Jesus. And we'll, we'll see that Jesus, you know, people come to faith, and then they're immediately baptized. It's, ba- it's, it's belief and baptism, the two going together, because it is a marker to look back and say, yes, this was the moment in time when I stood up and I said, I am going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And Jesus sets that tone for us. And maybe it's because we only do it once a year. I have no idea. Maybe it's because people are baptized as infants, so it doesn't seem as important we cannot miss that the importance of somebody stepping into the waters of baptism and proclaiming their faith in Jesus Christ as a signature moment in the life of a disciple. And Jesus does it here. Now, Jesus does it in, you know, kind of a major way. But that doesn't mean that what we do is somehow less important or less valuable. 
And so as, you know, we've got almost a whole year to think about this, 11 months, I would really challenge us to think about, A, you know, we talked about this idea of spiritual, spiritual markers last week. Now we talk about it again. You know, the question becomes for us, have I been baptized? When was I baptized? Why was I baptized? And if I haven't been baptized or if I wasn't baptized because it was that important to me, maybe I should consider stepping into the waters of baptism as this sign of my faith in Christ and this marker, the signature of faith in Christ. Because Jesus does it, and it is this, again, signature moment where they were praying, the heavens open up, and the Holy Spirit descends on him in bodily form like a dove. And this voice comes from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Now, it brings up this interesting question. So, we have this Trinitarian moment, right? We have God the Father speaking from heaven. We have the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus. And then we have Jesus being Jesus. So, why is it that the Holy Spirit is descending on Jesus? And is it the case that the Holy Spirit then resides with Jesus until the end of his earthly ministry? Great question. I'm so glad you asked. You've been thinking about this for a very long time. I can understand. Well, one thing we want to constantly remind ourselves is the, the humanity and the divinity of Jesus Christ are complete and the same uh, weight within who he is because that is of utmost importance. So Jesus doesn't get to like supersede and do these things just kind of on his own. Here we have the coming together of God the Father making this declaration that this is my son, and we see the Holy Spirit empowering Jesus in the same way that we're going to see the Holy Spirit at the beginning of Acts, spoiler alert, coming and empowering the people in the early church. And so we, we see this huge moment, and why is it all happening right here? Well, notice what happens right after that is the genealogy, probably our favorite part of Luke's whole gospel. So Luke has intentionally not given us the genealogy up to this point. Matthew chooses to give us the genealogy right out of the gate. We typically skip over that because we think this is nonsense. It doesn't really matter. Let's get to the good stuff. Matthew gives us the genealogy around Mary, and Luke gives us the genealogy around Joseph, because he says, uh, being the son, as was supposed of Joseph. But again, if we stop reading, which we typically do at this break that says the genealogy of Jesus, that's like an indicator, skip this part, we miss out. Notice what Luke is doing. Jesus is baptized out of chronological order, right? Because John is put in prison, and then it's like, oh, remember this? This happened. God the Father speaks to the crowd, and it says, this is my son, divine sonship. The next sentence is, Jesus is the son of Joseph, as was supposed. And so we have the divinity of Christ being the son of God, and we have the humanity of Jesus being the son of Joseph. Now, it's not that Joseph contributed to the, the package that is the chromosomal makeup of Jesus, right? Because then it wouldn't be the immaculate uh, conception and all that. But it is of importance to root the life of Jesus in this dual sonship 
between, it sounded like sonship, delicious, no, sonship of God and Joseph. And so we see Jesus' life being rooted in the heritage of this genealogy. And so I thought we were going to do the rest, but let's just dive right into to picking apart this genealogy. And nope, just kidding. <laughs> Some of the people are like, and why do you go to Wednesday nights again? <laughs> no, it's interesting as we look at, you know, certain, certain names pop out, certain names recur um, again and again. Those of us that were uh, dug through this, the Ruth study were like, Obed, yep, Boaz, remember that, sounds good. But notice how he roots, uh, he goes all the way back in his genealogy, all the way to Adam because of the importance of Jesus being the new Adam and being in the line of David. Uh, and so we see this big, big grouping. So now, after that, Jesus has been baptized, seemingly chronologically. Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. Okay, again, uh, who brought up that, the, being, the, the repetition of the Holy Spirit? Somebody brought that up. Somebody that was sitting over here last week, maybe. You can take credit even if you didn't do it. And we'll just say, well, that person... Good on you, gold star. Um, this repetition of the Holy Spirit early on in Luke's gospel. So Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returns from the Jordan uh, where this baptism was happened. He's led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted or tested by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, command the stone, this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give this authority, all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and was his custom. He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And, all, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. 
But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. And none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman, the Syrian. When they had heard all these things, and all the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of town, and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For the authority and power he commands are the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So we have this uh, post-Holy Spirit moment, post-baptism moment, and it says the Holy Spirit fills him and then leads him out into this time of testing. It doesn't say Jesus goes freely. It makes this connection that Jesus is going about his business being led by the Spirit. And so the Spirit leads him out into uh, the wilderness. Now, wilderness can can be a couple, two different things. It can be many things, but two main things. Wilderness can be a time of testing and refinement uh, and preparation for ministry. Elijah goes into the wilderness to get ready for his ministry. It can also be a time of, uh, well, reproving of a group. For example, the whole group of Israel who's in the wilderness, you know, for the whole generations thing, uh, because they didn't go into the promised land. So Jesus goes out there in this testing way, in essence, preparing him for his ministry. And we can't miss out on what is it that Satan is calling Jesus out on. He's making a claim and he's questioning whether or not Jesus is what? The Son of God. Again, remember back, we just said, Jesus, Son of God, you know, you are my beloved Son. Immediately, we roll into this testing. If you are the Son of God, then you should be able to do this. 
And isn't it interesting that these testings by, G, by Satan of Jesus are all responded to with what? Scripture. Likewise, we see Satan twisting Scripture to try and get Jesus to do something and saying, well, it says this, therefore it should be okay. And then jumping just ahead, Jesus goes into the synagogue, he opens up the scroll, and what does he do? He looks for the spot on the scroll, and he reads this part of the scroll, and he says, this is being fulfilled right now. So Luke makes it very clear to us that Jesus, in this reference to him increasing in wisdom, back at the end of what we call chapter 2, Jesus is studying over Scripture. Jesus is learning what is communicated in the Scripture because he knows the importance of Scripture and not just like carrying his Bible around because he wouldn't have had a Bible at the time. He knows it so well that when he is tested, he is able to rebuke Satan by quoting Scripture. And if Jesus is going to be interested in being invested in Scripture, it seems to like the WWJD thing, what would Jesus do? He would read his Bible. <laughs> he would read and know his Bible because he is able to overcome the tests of Satan by going to Scripture. When somebody says, yeah, I think it says in the Bible, you know, God really wants you to be happy. Like, yeah, God, that sounds right just sounds right. Well, I don't know what chapter, verse, or even what book it may be in, but it sounds pretty good. Or the classic, two white shirts, black tie, can I talk to you about Jesus? Like, these guys, they know what they're talking about. They were referencing books that I wasn't familiar with, but it sure sounded like scripture. And we joke about it, but it's right here. And so the importance of reading, and not just reading to dissect, but reading to understand and to fill ourselves with, so that when the testing comes, because we know it's going to come, we are able to draw to mind and remember these things. You know, growing up, Calvary Baptist Church, uh, we used to have Awanas on Wednesday night, and I just loved it. Approved workmen are not ashamed. Boys and girls... Hail Awana, right? It should have been, that's, that was like, not thinking back, Hail Awana, like, isn't it just Hail Jesus? But that's, okay. Big thing was memorizing scripture. It was so important, and it's amazing how those verses can come back, and they come back only in the NIV, because that was the word of the Holy Spirit at Calvary Baptist Church. It was, certainly wasn't King James. But spending time reading and bathing in Scripture so that when we are tested, we can understand, no, the truth of God's Word is this. But for some reason, well, for a lot of different reasons, it's like, well, it's confusing, it's hard to understand, it's this, it's that, it's the other thing. But did you see what just happened on the three-hour? <laughs> you know, you get it, right? Jesus is understanding and growing in his understanding of Scripture so that he can go out and not only engage with the people, but also he can overcome the testings that are coming from Satan. And notice how we move back and forth between 
this like generic fast-forwarding over, uh, overarching uh, recounting of what's happening and also like specific minute details. For example, Jesus goes in the power of the Spirit into Galilee and the word is starting to go out. Now we see a very interesting thing happening here because as we've talked about, Zechariah is punished for his unbelief and is muted at the beginning of Luke's gospel. Now we're going to see instances of people recognizing Jesus and the silencing of them so that people don't know about Jesus and then other people who should know about Jesus don't understand about who Jesus is. So the word is going out and he's going and he's teaching in the synagogues. Again, this place uh, of basically like the Jewish church. And then we get this specific example of him going into Nazareth. Like I mentioned, he reads this scroll. He goes in on the Sabbath, and he reads the scroll. And he doesn't just read the whole thing. He goes right to this place, and he says, this has been fulfilled. Again, the importance of prophecy being fulfilled in Jesus' lifetime. But notice what happens right in what we have as 22. It seems to be going so well until it isn't. It's like a family road trip. It was all going so well until it wasn't. And when does it go sideways? They ask a question. What is the question? Is this not Joseph's son? Okay, notice again the sonship and the importance of the familial connection. Because they're looking at Joseph and they're like, this dude, how could his son be the Messiah, because their conception of what the Messiah is, who the Messiah is going to come from, it certainly is not some rando carpenter from Nazareth. And so in that, immediately there is unbelief. But again, he is in the synagogue where the people should be understanding. They know this scripture, and they're like, it's finally here. And they're like, but is it? I mean, he said that, but is it? And then Jesus gives this explanation of how, within Old Testament scripture, these people went to, these prophets were called to Israel, and Israel rejected them. Likewise, uh, he's going to give us that in his reference to the sign of Jonah, but we'll get there in a second, or in a while. And it wasn't that they were confused or upset, they were filled with wrath, and they drive him out of town, and they try to kill him. And then he just kind of like Jason Bourne, he just like vanishes. Like, whoop, there he went. Where did, where did that Jesus go? We we're going to kill him. He gone. And what does he do? It says he goes down to Capernaum and he encounters someone else. He's back again and he was teaching on the Sabbath. And his words possessed authority. Notice G Satan tempts or tests Jesus by claiming that he has authority and if he would only follow him, he would give Jesus authority. And immediately thereafter, we see Jesus, he is teaching with authority. And he encounters this man who has this unclean spirit, unclean demon. And because of how we're doing this, we're not really going to dive into the, because I know many of you are like, I cannot, you read this passage, and you're like, I cannot wait to talk about Satan and demons. Like, this is really my favorite thing to talk about on Wednesday nights is Satan and demons. Sorry, we're going to wait because 
spoiler alert, not the last demon that happens in Luke's gospel. What's important about this demon? Well, remember when John uh, is in his mother's womb and Jesus is in his mother's womb, Mary walks in and Elizabeth says what? The baby jumped. So John in utero recognizes Jesus in utero as the Messiah. So here, you know, Babies in utero aren't supposed to be like acknowledging messiahs. That's, I'm not sure if you're aware of that, but that's kind of like, wow, that's kind of shocking. Likewise, here we see the demon. So the people that are supposed to get who Jesus is, the people in his own hometown, right? Like if you have somebody from your hometown that's like famous, you love to talk about it, right? Is that just me? You know, we were talking about this earlier. In South Dakota, if you're driving to, out to the Black Hills, you'll see probably th- at least two different signs at cities that say, home of John Thune. And you're like, what is it? Is it Sioux Falls? Is it Murdo? Right, Murdo? Right, they're like, home of John Thune. You're like, well, that's where he was born and grew up, but that's not where he lives. The people in Jesus' hometown should have been like, yes. Jesus, this is our guy. The Messiah is finally here. They miss it. He goes and he encounters this demon, and this demon is like, recognizes immediately, you are Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy One of God. And what does Jesus say? Zip it. Zip it. And then again, skipping ahead, and the demons came out crying, you are the son of God. So again, the people in the temple are like, you're the son of Joseph. The demons are like, you are the son of God. And we see this interesting contrast happening. But again, we see the the cleansing of this demon, and notice what happens. The demon throws him down, but he has done him no harm. And so these reports continue to go out. And then he goes, as Janine pointed out, there is this coupling together of men and women within Luke's gospel. So Jesus heals this man who has the unclean spirit. And then immediately he goes into Simon's home and he heals a woman who happens to be Simon's mother-in-law who has this fever. And somebody wanted to make, make a note that, that as soon as she's healed, she immediately gets up and starts serving. Yes, she does. And it, amen. <laughs> All the Martha said amen. Um, it's just a Bible joke. Sometimes the Bible jokes, they just come out. You just can't help it. But no, it's, she immediately is able to serve because she has been so fully and completely healed and restored to health. Because then we get this next reference in this general sense what happens? The sun is setting. Like, it's, it's time, time to kind of shut her down and coast in for the night. But all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. He laid his hands on them, on every one of them. 
I want us to, to remember and see this, how Jesus uses the power of touch. I know we talked about it in Matthew, for those of you who are here for that, but we're going to continue to see this. Jesus takes time and he touches, every, Luke says, every single person he touches and every single person is healed. And it goes on all the way into the night. And it's not just that he's physically healing them, but he's also casting out these demons who are recognizing who he is. And that is an amazing thing because what we're going to see is when the kingdom of God is advancing, Jesus is not only concerned with the spiritual aspect of these people and the, the dealing with this, you know, the demons and all that, but with their physical well-being. And we're going to talk about this, how Jesus seeks to heal the total person and not just a part of the person. So the man who has this demon that's cast out of him, he is not harmed in any way. We see this healing of Simon's mother-in-law in such a way that she immediately snaps to it and she's ready to go, she's ready to serve. And we see him healing all of these people. And it's just astonishing because we would think, and he healed most, or and he touched those he had time to touch. Because the next sentence is, and it, when it was day. So we have this night. I mean, just imagine what this night would have been like. Everyone is like, hey, Jesus is in the neighborhood. Let's all come and we're going to spend all night and we're going to be there and we're going to experience this. The power of Jesus is healing these people. He's touching these people he's not supposed to. They're being restored to health. And it goes on all night long. I mean, imagine what that would have been like and what you would have done and where you would have gone from there. And we joked about this. The only thing that people get this excited for currently is what is Taylor Swift currently doing? Like all night long, we're making TikToks about the hard launch of Kelsey and Taylor. And we're like, who's Travis Kelsey? Taylor Swift's boyfriend. That's his identity. But Jesus spends all night healing these people. And notice what's, what happens. In the morning, Dude is tired. He's like, I need to get out of here. And how do the people respond? Thanks for coming. We'll see you around. No, no, they haven't had enough. They seek him out. They seek him out because they want to continue to spread the good news and experience Jesus. And it brings up this question for us. Because we have an encounter with Jesus, and what do we do with it? What do we do with it? We experience the movement of the Holy Spirit, and we, and we experience who Jesus is in a fractional way or in a major way. And then what do we do with it? Are we satisfied? Are we satisfied with, yep, that was a sufficient amount? Or are we like these people where we seek him out and we don't want to let him go? You know, it's like the first person that sees Kirk Cousins post at the Chocolate Ox and everyone's like, boss, I gotta go. I gotta run to the Chocolate Ox. Kirk Cousins in town. 
You know people actually did that. They're flooding Nisswa. Where's Kirk Cousins? Where is he at? I want to see this average white man who throws the football around for the, was it 0-3 Vikings? <laughs> Draft is right around the corner. But we get so excited about seeing and being around these celebrities. You know, uh, what's, his, what's his face? Mr. Uh, new Maverick guy. Nikki, help me out. Miles Teller, yes. We're, we're in Wisconsin, and, and Maddie gets a notification that Miles Teller's at Grandview, and she's like, forget vacation. We got to go back to Nisswa because we got to find Miles Teller so we can get a picture. Nikki can't stand it. She hates it. She hates engaging with celebrities. She absolutely hates it. We were downtown Des Moines, and this couple that we were going to see in concert was walking down the street, and she sees them, and she immediately is like, I'm out of here. No engagement with celebrities. How do we approach these things like these people where Jesus comes and he has this experience, they have this experience and they are touched by Jesus and they've been with him all night and they're not even satisfied yet. And I know one of the things that we wrestle with is this idea of healing and prayer and and what happens when we pray for something for so long and it seems like God isn't answering our prayers. That's that's something we're going to wrestle with and talk about throughout. What we see here, though, is a very, Luke is telling us that this is who Jesus is and this is what it looks like for the kingdom of God to break into this earth. And John has, has paved the way and now Jesus is coming And he says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. And then Luke tells us again, where is he going? Where is he going in these towns? He's going into the synagogues, and we're going to see how this works out. And we're going to see how some of these characters that are supposed to get it completely miss it. And then even the demons are like, We know who you are. All right, so those of you who were in a discussion group last week, okay, this is, let me time out. If you were not,